everyone, my name is Cassie Osei, and welcome to The Table Podcast, where everyone gets to take a seat. I am your host, Cassie Osei, and I am here with Trinity Carpenter. Would you introduce yourself, please? Yes, hello. I am Trinity. I am currently a student at the University of Kansas. I'm in the Advanced Standing Master Program, set to graduate this May. I also do a lot of community advocacy and self-described rabble-rouser. Hey, and thank you for being here this evening. Absolutely. All right. The topic for today, um, we'll be discussing black womanhood. How excited are you to discuss Listen, black womanhood? <laughs> we need to discuss black womanhood, right? We get erased a lot. Yes, we do. So we're going to jump into the meal. So we start off at the table here with an appetizer, get you warmed up. And then following that, we'll go on to dinner, which is a Nice little hefty discussion there, and then we'll end with some dessert. So are you ready? Absolutely. All right. So let's get in to this table. (laughs) All right. The appetizer. So complete this statement. Behind or beside, every black woman is blank. And why? Listen, a hating ass nigga. (laughs) (laughs) Are they behind or beside? Both. Okay. Always. No, <laughs> Both not <hands>. always. <laughs> but listen, um, and I definitely can give you an explanation. Um, in my experience as a black woman, I have been criticized, condemned, and questioned by black men, more specifically cis heterosexual black men, probably mm-hmm. than anyone else. And I know a lot of that has to do with proximity. That's who I surround myself with. But a lot of it has to do with just their position and their perspective on what black womanhood means to them mm. or how they think I show up in the world in a more lucrative nuance is I'm glad there's edit but um another nuance is that I'm biracial so a lot of black men have their own opinions, how I navigate this world and what kind of access I have to whiteness. And a lot of it is just misplaced and inaccurate. And I find myself defining myself and justifying myself a lot to black men. And Mm. it's really unfortunate because I also have an innate love and inclination to protect and save them a lot when it's not always appreciated. So that would definitely be my answer because listen, they real and they everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you a follow-up question. Where does the need to protect black men come from knowing how they treat black women or you specifically? A lot of it I always articulate as obligation but I've really tried to unpack what that means like why do I feel obligated to protect black men and I used to say because at a societal level that they were persecuted and targeted but when I really reconciled that black woman black trans woman lots of people are targeted and persecuted at a societal level and so honestly um I feel black women have often been tasked 
to do so for black men when no one else is willing. And sometimes it can be rewarding, other times challenging, and other times devastating, so. Mm. Are you all right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, I want to make sure I give you Listen. some room to breathe, yeah. that was heavy. Um, and I affirm everything that you've said, because I can definitely relate to that statement. It's the need to protect black men, even though they seldom protect us in ways that we need it. Yeah. It's real. And yeah. it is hard on our mental health, on our bodies. But then again, it's what we do. It's what we do. Reciprocal protection. I never even considered that. That wouldn't be nice. It would feel nice. Yeah. And at the day, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, who's protecting our ourselves? Yeah. Who's protecting us? And I think in answering my, uh, that question myself, I would say behind and beside every black woman is another black woman who's there to say, I got you. Yeah. And I see you. Listen. Because honest to God, without that sisterhood, I have no idea how I would get through a lot. Listen, without that affirmation, validation, and often, like you said, just outright protection yes. from other black women, um, I know personally I would not be able to accomplish what I've accomplished. It would never be possible. I speak to that a lot because... I will never have individual success. It was never afforded to me just based on my identities. Mm -hmm. I had to be accommodated. I had to be invested in. I had to be protected to ever achieve what I have. And a lot of times it was black women who gave that to me when they're often the most vulnerable people at the institution, mm -hmm. in the organization, or present. And they were still willing to do that because it's been expected of them their whole life. Right. So, and I'm, if I may ask a follow-up question that may be a little personal, um, feel free to not respond. Um, how are you able to navigate your identity being a black woman and also being biracial? Does one identity kind of take over? Like how, how does that work for you? What does that look like? For me, one identity definitely takes over. Um, I've been described as pro-black or not making space for the whiteness that and course through you? my body. And to me, that is um, the question, right? Mm -hmm. Should I? Does it need space? Mm -hmm. Doesn't it already give me the advantage that stands with the reflection of my complexion? Right. And um, it's really difficult to reconcile that. I've um, had criticisms of, well, you don't understand. And there's times where that is completely accurate. Mm -hmm. And I myself had to do a lot of self-work to be able to identify that and articulate it. And the place where I show, shows up the most is within relationships when people say like, oh, this is what a black mother does. And mm -hmm. I have to say like, no, I don't understand that. I've never had that experience. I was raised by a white woman and she didn't have them behaviors. You know what I mean? And so with that, I'm thankful that I was raised by a white woman who gave me and extended me access to my culture that she couldn't. And so mm -hmm. with that, she always acknowledged that we weren't only poor and we didn't come from just a single family home, that we are also black and that the world was going to interact with us like that. And so um, she gave us space 
to create ourselves what that looks like. And I come from a family with a multitude of biracial mm-hmm. women. And so my sisters and me have all had different experiences, right? And with that being said, I think being black is what's most salient and the biggest disconnect that I've seen between Black women and Black men, in my experience as being biracial, is that they truly think that I can navigate the world as a white woman and that I may be often mistaken as a white woman, and that's just not true. Mm. I'm never mistaken as a white woman. I've honestly never really been the recipient of being even racially ambiguous. However, it's happened in isolation, probably literally about three times in my life people have asked like what are you but most of the time people see me as a black woman and it's just what it is and so when people think that I have the ability to go in these spaces and just be encompassed Mm -hmm. by whiteness it's just like I said not accurate and so I struggle with how to hold on to the fact that I have privilege in the context of colorism but Mm -hmm. not privilege in the way that I can access whiteness Mm -hmm. and that's really hard for the black community to understand sometimes right right okay so breathe don't take a moment breathe yeah all right (laughs) thank you for sharing that training so we're gonna move on to dinner and to ask this question I kind of want to prompt it with some background so defining the quality of black womanhood is strength, usually. And there's historical exemplars that support such a claim. You know, Maya Angelou describes us as a phenomenal woman. And I say us because that narrative of the phenomenal woman was rooted in her narrative of blackness. So with that, and this is a thought-provoking question, do you think the idea of strength oversimplifies or undermines black womanhood? Absolutely. To say black womanhood encompasses strength conveys the idea that it was either innate or that it was a choice when I personally feel that our strength often comes through trauma and violence and pain. And so we're tasked with that strength, right? It's cultivated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's reinforced. It's expected of us to survive. And so something that comes from survival can never be oversimplified because it erases everything that contributed to that strength being present in the first place. And strength has a juxtaposition because with strength should come power if you believe what they teach us right and when it comes to black women i don't see that translate because we're Mm. known to be very strong or even described as powerful at times but it doesn't account for the ease that we're killed taken entered without consent and also the consequences that don't follow Mm -hmm. and so I just think it's in direct conflict often with our experience and it's often to our detriment that we're considered so strong when 
I know personally my strength came out of need, yeah. not want. Exactly. And you speaking to that reminds me of a quote by Bell Hooks, which is, strength is a half-told tale. Mm. And essentially it's saying that strength and that label itself of a strong, independent black woman, you know, that stereotypical label just sweeps under the rug a lot of violations that black women have experienced, a lot of the suffering, a lot of the pain, all that we've endured. And it also negates opportunities we experience as second-class citizens mm. within our own gender. Um, and it, it ignores sometimes the perils of our intersectionality and even the sexism that we would experience within our own community, especially. Absolutely. And so strength to me is a very sincere fiction. Mm. Um, and it just kind of conditions the black community to ignore the fact that strength comes from a difficult space because we have to have strength. And we also feel the need to live up to this stereotype that we are strong, we are this black woman who doesn't feel anything. Yeah. And when you're expected to perform strength, when does it give you space to be vulnerable? Exactly. So when does that give you a chance to be vulnerable? That was a follow-up question for me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so with me, um, not much. And mm -hmm. I say that is because often to be vulnerable would be to my demise. And that is not an exaggeration. And um, the times I am vulnerable, it's often critiqued. And it's critiqued because the expectation is for me to be steadfast and strength. And I've been in situations where people literally ask me, like, okay, we're gonna go in this meeting. Can you remove the emotion? No, because I'm really? a human being. Like, yes, like, no, wow. I cannot remove emotion from what you're <laughs> gonna have in this meeting. And so we're literally expected to do the impossible at Is times, right? right? Of course. Okay. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, of course. Like, and that's what I'm saying. I And I also feel like that's something else that has been taken from us. Mm -hmm. I'll, listen, I'll come from a place that we only keep up appearances out of survival. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> listen, yes, that is, that yes. is no, that's not part of black culture. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. And like, it's literally how we've been socialized and expected to perform and when you deviate, it is startling, especially to white people that Black people actually feel, because guess yeah. what? We've had to hide that to survive for so long. Mm -hmm. We actually have opinions. This may be a tangent and just no, listen. I read something that was so powerful once. It described that in enslavement, those in the South who owned slaves mm -hmm. truly believed that if given a choice, the slaves would stay. They truly believed <laughs> that slaves did not have the capacity or intelligence mm. to know that they were experiencing atrocities and oppression. Mm. They truly thought black people were childlike. And 
they describe moments that when Union ships would arrive in ports or when soldiers would arrive, mm-hmm. the white plantation owners would yell, like, run to the woods. They're going to sell you to the Cubans and, like, all these things. And they were always shocked when slaves ran past them to yeah. Union troops and ships. The fact that people can delude themselves to such a degree yeah. to not understand that black people are human beings is not just ridiculous, obnoxious, and um, it takes a certain amount of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. to do so. And then when we talk about black womanhood, you're talking about black women who were at the disposal of everybody and then was expected by survival to even then protect folks. We downplayed our children, we downplayed ourselves, and we downplayed our men. Mm-hmm. And to this day, white people don't understand that sentiment, mm-hmm. that why we wouldn't celebrate ourselves, because celebrating ourselves meant harm. <laughs> it meant being disruptive from our families, and it often meant death. Like, and so, I don't it know. It still does. Too. Yeah, it still does. And so, yeah, to me, it's really powerful when you can read something in history that still to this day has so much power at how we function today. Mm-hmm. And you, you bring up history, and this is kind of a tangent as well. I had a disagreement on social media with an individual who said they didn't believe in history. Mm. Like, I, one of those people, those slave deniers, mm. they, they are real. Mm. <laughs> listen, I can't imagine a Holocaust denier, let alone a, a slave. slave denier. No, like, listen, even when I pulled facts and said, this is hard empirical data for you. Well, can you trust this data? How do you know it's real? <laughs> <sighs> That's a hard one for me. Yeah. It, it is such a hard one for me that primary documents can even be debated at this point. Yeah. Like, and um, it's real. And the fact that everyone says they want data and numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Then you give them data and numbers, and then they be like, that's not true. And then you give them experience. That's, that's not, not true. true. Like, what do you need to reinforce that something you may not experience mm-hmm. may be happening? And at this point, like, I'm tired of literally burying my pain for someone to sit yes. and yes. debate if they yes. should act behind it. And yes. so, I don't know. Uh, at this point, um, I feel like a workhorse. And that's really hard because like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm also doing what's always been expected. And what's even harder is I don't know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. You Listen, <laughs> I, and that's the thing. Like, I need not just only community, mm-hmm. but community and nourishment. Yes. yes I yes, want yes. to learn. I want to grow. I want to be challenged. I do not want to educate. Mm-hmm. In space after space that I enter, that's supposed to be community. You I'm tasked with educating. educating. Yeah, I don't want like I need someone to give to me and not me always giving to others. And so, I definitely can find it in isolation. And I'm appreciative for those who are willing to invest, breathe life, and challenge me when no one else is. But it's way too rare to be sustaining. And so. Thank you, because I will try to do better at finding better community. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm working that on that myself. <laughs> Listen, yeah, you gotta t- make sure that your time is sacred. Mm. It has to be sacred. 
that term sacred i often describe myself that and people don't understand it because i usually use that in the context of like um not giving up on black men mm -hmm. because like i do feel a black woman is sacred and i don't want other people to have access to it when i really truly don't want to give up on black men but they are pushing it i'm putting that for the record listen oh yeah. <laughs> listen, better than me. listen they are you pushing better that. Than me. <laughs> but with that being said like sacred like and our energy is sacred and i feel like we spend way too much time as black women especially is giving what is sacred away and contributing mm -hmm. to a white agenda. We do it, and it's often even expected of us, right? Especially in the academy, and I struggle with that. Like, I have a whole community behind me that's condemned for their lack of knowledge or ability to do better, but I'm up here educating people that's not receptive mm -hmm. or has access to the knowledge in the first place. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know how to navigate that, and and continue a trajectory to being successful. Mm. So hold that thought, because that, that answers yeah. my next question right there. Uh, what are your thoughts on feminism being the movement that inspires equity for black women? Hmm. It's one of those things that you just spoke to. It's, it's half, what did you say, half of untold truth? Yeah. Yeah, half of an untold truth, right? Because I can give a very recent example of this. Um, I sat with Wendy Doyle. She is um, the director of the Women's Foundation. And I sat in a room of primarily white students mm -hmm. who were women. And time and time again, they described their biggest barrier as being a woman. That is not my experience. <laughs> Listen, my biggest barrier is not being a woman. Mm -hmm. It is being a black woman. It is coming from abject poverty. It mm -hmm. is being a felon. It is being rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. that, that is intersectionality, yes, like, acknowledgement of oppressions. That yes. is a barrier to not just my sense of belonging, yes. but my advancement. And so yes. time and time again, where I hear women being like, oh, I was the only woman in the room. I am the only woman here, or I'm the only woman that does this research, or I'm going in the corporate world and mm -hmm. I'm going to be a woman. I really don't sympathize because I have been the only black woman mm -hmm. in any spaces that are attached to social mobility or success my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I've had to ask myself when there are other black women and even black people that we often come from a certain place and we've been immersed in whiteness at some point in our life. Mm -hmm. So why are those who don't have an experience or narratives not getting to the institutions and academies that I do? Exactly. And so with that being said, like, I feel like there's way more salient identities that I carry. And that's hard for people to be like, of course, people know you a woman when they see you, but guess mm -hmm. what? They also know I'm a black woman that come from poverty. They assume I come from urban poverty, which I don't. I come from rural <laughs> poverty. But That's a layer that needs to be discussed, too. Listen, I come from rural white poverty, to be clear, because mm -hmm. people be like, you mean predominantly? No. Where I was raised, me and my sister mm -hmm. was the only black individuals. And then the only Mexican individuals were our three best friends. Mm -hmm. And that is how we functioned, right? And... I had to, at some point, acknowledge that that was a privilege. That's why I know how to code switch so well. That is why there's definitely things of whiteness that confuses me, but it's the intersection of poverty that causes that confusion. 
not mm. blackness because as a biracial black woman i actually was immersed the first 11 years of my life in whiteness all whiteness and so i actually understand whiteness really well mm-hmm. i just don't understand wealthy whiteness well mm. and so that's a distinction people forget to make like I know agriculture, I know country, I know all that. <laughs> like, listen, what I don't know is how the other side was living in whiteness. And so um, intersectionality can be powerful when it's used to assess and have nuanced conversations like it was intended mm-hmm. and not to, I guess, compete on who is the most oppressed or misrepresent intersectionality in its entirety Mm. (laughs) and what intersections are and what they mean and why even the scholar who came up with it Mm -hmm. did so, right? There was a reason for it. Like, it didn't just, like, she just didn't say intersectionality a thing. We don't talk about it. It was literally in response to how she had to conceptualize and contextualize what research she was trying to accomplish. And so, I don't know. That's my scholarly thoughts on it. <laughs> so would you consider yourself a feminist? I'm, I'm being messy when I ask uh, that question. <laughs> uh, listen, like if I could add a whole bunch of words to it, like if I could add radical, if I could add that mm, ending patriarchy probably isn't my biggest priority. Um, ending racism is, um, which... It's a question in itself if that's even possible. Mm-hmm. Um, even ending poverty would be more powerful to me than ending patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also want to acknowledge that's another reason I often give black men grace is because I've articulated this a lot. Black men don't have the power to undo patriarchy and I often think we task them to Ooh, I disagree. I yeah, I'm glad you will, and I will. Okay, okay. I feel like we task them to represent something different or deviate something that they've been socialized in and is beneficial to them to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is unfair. But that's also coming from like, listen, might as well put on the recording Isaac cares all the time. I am literally <laughs> dubbed like Miss Save Black Men. So like, yeah. like is there? Like, I only disagree with you because, as you've mentioned, you know, black men do benefit from the socialization that they have from their male uh, privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And black men forget that they, too, perpetuate a system of oppression against the black women that protect them. Yeah. So because of that, I think they have a responsibility within our demographic to at least undo some of the injustice that patriarchy yeah. instills in our community. And I, in response, would still argue they just don't have the power. I feel like we function in whiteness and that anyone was going to end patriarchy, it would have to come from that white patriarchal level because sure. okay. that's where the power okay. lies. And right. so I say that, and that response was invoked from Anthony Boynton had said once that patriarchy is a field that is on fire. Who's going to put it out? And at the time, we were talking about black men. I was, you say black men to put that field out? Because it's not yeah. possible, right? Yeah. And that's my position, or even... Well, I see yeah. what you're saying. The yeah. grander scheme yeah. of patriarchy 
white people fucked that up. Yeah. They did that with colonization. They they brought that Eurocentric bullshit and, and just... And I yeah. like to make room for, like, I don't think patriarchy began with colonization. I think it was practiced in imperialism, too. Like, I will make that. I do think mm -hmm. there is cultures and frameworks outside of it, especially many indigenous Mm -hmm. cultures right like mm -hmm. they don't even function from that capacity mm -hmm. but i do want to um a lot of times there's this argument that white folks gave us everything that was wrong but i know that chattel slavery and enslavement informed u.s black men in patriarchy but in an overall global scheme mm -hmm. i need people to also acknowledge in imperialism it wasn't well for women either in throughout society like women have been supporting it and they've been properly and like if you follow back like okay. that has to be acknowledged and so i can't just say like oh white man colonization and enslaving us made black men this way because actually people forget one of the first <laughs> one of the first freedoms and decision black men had was to decide if their woman and their children were going to go to the fields or not and i literally read that in the literature and mm -hmm. i thought of how powerful that is once you were given your freedom and without any other resources mm -hmm. the one thing you have within your power is to determine what role your wife and your children would have mm -hmm. and then how that power can be exploited manipulated and transform over time to look how it does today okay well, let me add something to your reading list as well to yes kind of get you to see my position at absolutely disagree a little absolutely. <laughs> and this is good this yes. is good you know black women learning something for absolutely. us not educating others uh have you heard of africana womanism i've actually heard of it okay but not read it but i have okay. heard of it that right there is it really just challenges a lot what you said about imperialism it was mm -hmm. when the african woman and the african man were one Okay. There was no man over woman. woman. They did everything together. Okay. There was no, you know, I um, gender discrimination. There okay. was no sexuality bias. Okay. It's, we are one unit. We are a family of our own. And it wasn't until Eurocentric ideals invaded that okay. space that, you know, the layers that we have today exist. Yeah. So... I identify as an Africana womanist and yeah. not a feminist or yeah. a black feminist or yeah. a woman. None of that. Yeah. Because for me, feminist is feminism is rooted in whiteness. Absolutely. Black feminism, I understand that black women who started black feminism wanted to have the equal pay, the rights, and all of these things that came with feminism too. However, black feminism is inherently about integrating yes absolutely you're trying to integrate your your being into a space that was not inherently for you yeah that brings up so i just read like when are the african-americans of the u.s going to quit being the ward yes the nation. yes yeah that's, that makes sense and i definitely am going to read because it also makes sense to something else i've read in the past about Nefertiti being the first person that was able to accomplish that mm -hmm. a queen had the same power as a man. And yes. then 
one of her great great grandchildren rolled that back at some point in history but like i had read that so that makes sense yes. thank you for that yes <laughs> <laughs> how you feeling good how oh, this? listen right. nourishing conversation yes. better than the other <laughs> and I, actually this is also another point um just about kind of drawing on to africana womanism you know black womanhood just that Black women have the greatest buying power in this country. Yeah. Yet we hold none of the wealth in our demographic. Yeah. And we outsource our buying power for either other ethnic organizations. You know, you got the beauty supply not run by us no more. Sally's ain't being run by us, definitely. You know, and... It, like these are one of some of the things that I question. Just like we are top in a lot of things. I knew education. I didn't know in buying power. That's yeah. definitely important. Buying power, education. Um, I believe we have the highest uh, voting power in this country, mm. considering we got Ron Moore Listen. <laughs> next. <laughs> Listen, and that in itself was powerful. And it was lost on so many people. Like consistently yes black women show up and um yet we still remain devalued denigrated mistreated killed and silenced blamed blamed. that is that's the one that's the hardest for me like we're blamed for being too strong but have we ever had the option amen to be soft like that's that is I did not know we had the most buying power. There's something to that, like with hair, grocery stores, yeah, all that the natural products. Yes. Now. I feel like and I feel like there's something that is has to not be articulated in history. Like I was reading something that was describing how, oh, Asian people came into black communities and started grocery stores so no one else would. But I was like, Why could have black people have grocery stores? Exactly. What is it being talked about? Why was it okay at a certain point in history for Asians mm-hmm. to have grocery stores in our community when they were oppressed? Mm-hmm. You don't have as described about yeah, wealth, like, about building. Like yes, that's all like, gone. And it is. And I hate that I resisted this professor at our institution so much. He's now at the University of Michigan. But Dr. Elliott, that's what mm-hmm. he did. Black economic wealth, wealth building, economic power, mm-hmm. and just did a lot of research around child savings accounts and that was his mm-hmm. form of reparations. Um, and he would always tell me like, Trendy, we need you's, but we also need me. Like we have to come at this at both directions, right. right? We need people putting pressure in the street. We also have to have people behind the door that doing very practical things that we can start being independent mm-hmm. of the standing institutions. And with me, I've always held on to that because when you think about liberation, there's these certain things you need to ever accomplish it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm radical enough, like I try to envision the world outside of capitalism and mm-hmm. patriarchy and all these standing things. And there was a time that I thought society had came far enough where we transcended the need to use violence or dominance as a reinforcer to cooperate, mm-hmm. right? 
But sometimes I'm like, unless you get economic independence and power, can you ever accomplish a liberation to mm. transcend or transform to anything else? Right. Because it's through them very things that yes. that change is possible. And so I struggle with that a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Okay. We're going to breathe. Yeah. You feeling good? Yeah, please? I am. I okay. am. Okay. It's a lot. I I ponder these things all the time, so it's hard to, like, ponder them out loud because I really do, like, sit yeah. in existential crisis constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming into this space and sharing it with me. This is good. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I'm going to end with one more question. It's a little bit lighthearted. Okay. So we talk a lot about black boy joy. You know, that hashtag is very popular and black girl magic, which is praising a lot of the efforts and the strength yes. that we, you know, exude. But no one talks about black girl joy. So what does black girl joy look like for you? Listen, I thought about that a lot. And like everything that came to me was what black women do. It was about other people. So black youth laughter. Black youth hope, like all of it came back to the babies and seeing a reflection in their face that doesn't reflect hopelessness. That hopelessness, and that's like my biggest struggle is seeing hopelessness on people's face that never had the ability to even attempt mm -hmm. to achieve anything, right? And so that's what I went to, and then I was like, once again, like you don't know how to center yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you do for yourself? when it comes to joy and listen all my answers are very shallow but sex <laughs> listen sex. that's like, what the fuck you mean listen <laughs> sex amen good food like i example like when i travel i spend more money on probably food than any other cost because i'm a foodie i love good food and i love exploring different cultures and food so we need to road trip together listen that's my thing. we need to start hanging out more <laughs> listen <laughs> that is my thing and honestly this is something I didn't value when I was younger because as being a black woman in strength in the culture I come from, um, I was the homegirl. Like I had all male friends. I mm -hmm. hung out with men. I was known to like, and to me, it was just me having access to knowledge. Like if I know how my male friends navigate their women, I know how men are navigating me. And then that mm -hmm. gives me a choice of how I'm going to show up. But now like my most valuable relationships are other black women. They really are, yes. and they're not always easy relationships, and they're not always even pretty, but, mm -hmm. like, they give me substance that I can't find anywhere else. Yes. Like, we cry together, we grieve together, and we sit in pain together in a way that I don't think I can access from anyone else. And so, them three things, sex, food, and black women, probably, definitely what gives me black girls. All in that order. I'm... <laughs> All of your Listen. answers were mine. Sex, Listen. food, black women. <laughs> Listen, amen. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a break. Yay. Hey, y'all. It's Isaac here. And I wanted to take a moment to talk about an opportunity for you to support The Table Podcast. There's this nifty website called Patreon that gives you special access to me and other members of The Table for as little as $5 a month. By becoming a patron, which is a paying subscriber, you will not only be supporting The Table podcast, but also joining us underneath the table as we talk about other topics ranging from what I ate for breakfast this morning to why I cannot sleep at night, which is oddly connected. 
There will also be exclusive content with some old and new guests, including people like Aaron, Lily, Darren, and anybody else who wants to join the pod. I'm excited for the opportunity to do even more work, and I am thankful for all the support, regardless of if you are a patron or not. Thank you so much for riding this wave with me, and let's get back to the show. And we're back. And we're going to enter into the dessert portion of this show. Okay. Are you excited? Yes, I am. All right. <laughs> so with that, Black Panther premieres tonight. And I know yes, it's Black it Panther does. weekend for a lot of people. So what is it about the movie that excites you? Everything. Like... I am not a Marvel fan, but the fact that there is the opportunity for this much representation to be centered and to be celebrated is an opportunity I don't think we often get. And so I'm also glad that it's created like a collective, I don't know how to describe it, a collective excitement mm -hmm. around something that is ours and i also am excited that i'm learning stuff about the comic black panther that i never was privy to before right mm -hmm. like it never was i knew black panther existed i knew there was a comic existed but i didn't know the history and i didn't know the importance of some of the storyline and how it was framed and mm -hmm. The fact that it is so celebrated and people are throwing that knowledge around, I feel like I got to learn something. I've got to learn something that has historical significance to our community. And I also get to be excited and write along with everyone else. So, yeah. Listen, <laughs> I got a free ticket, so I will be there as of tomorrow. Wonderful. For me, I'm definitely excited about the movie Giving Space for Black Womanhood. Mm. And it does it so well, at least from the previews that I've seen. Listen, you know? And beautifully and beautiful, powerful. Yes. And there's aspects that I've read on black womanism exuded in that movie. So I'm, or exhibited in that movie. And I'm really excited to see that. Me as well. Like, me as well. There's nothing... There is nothing that would prevent me from like going to watch the movie so people will not tell me about it. Because you know there's a white person waiting to run it for everybody. Mm. And listen, I'm running to that show. <laughs> a person that I was going to go with actually couldn't get access to a ticket because they weren't a student. And they tried to be like, oh, just wait a week and go with me. No. <laughs> I am going by myself. <laughs> listen. Listen. So, yes, I'm super excited. And... I think it's just well needed and we have to continue to cultivate and build on representations of us in the media and representations of who we are as a collective and that we're not monolithic, right? Yes. That there is a black dysphoria. And so yes. Yes. Diaspora. Diaspora. There Thank we go. You. I was Why like nobody nobody <laughs> corrects me. I swear, like I will know nobody the definition corrects of everything. You. Damn. That makes your friends. It. Like that for friends. probably about three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh black diaspora. Let me say it again so he can edit it. <laughs> black diaspora. <laughs> 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 
how do you pronounce it? <laughs> diaspora. A diaspora. Black diaspora. Yeah. I, <laughs> I read that in Tanisi Coates' book. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it came from. <laughs> listen, and I'm that person. I would look up the definition. One of the listen, I look up definitions all the time, but I don't know how to pronounce shit. Symposium, McNair. They're like, we gotta go. What is a symposium? When I read the definition, just a gathering. No, colloquium was just a gathering. I was like, hell, do you use the word colloquium <laughs> for something that is a gathering? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen. So we done. Yes. So you got any um, church announcements? Anything you want to shout out? Your Listen. social media handles. Listen to find me on social media. You will have to misspell my first name, and that was not me. That was Facebook. Um, it's T R I N T I Y. I've been meaning to ask you about that too. There is a whole storyline. Like so. A few years ago, I got locked out of Facebook, okay. and I used to be known as Trendsetter Meant for Success. <coughs> that was intentional, so like my professional and campus people basically could not find me. Um, at some point, Facebook made the decision that they did not like people using these monikers, and they, they wanted us to shift to our government names. Mm -hmm. Mind you, I think it's pretty much based on like your platform, because I still know like Two Gun Cavi from the hood. And he has not been forced to change his Facebook account. Okay. And so I have. And uh, with that, I said, fuck that. Because, like, I am resistant. And I did not like Facebook was trying to dictate me and force me to upload my government ID. But then I tried to create another Facebook. And it was boring. And I had none of my friends. So I broke <laughs> down. And I uploaded my government ID. And then Facebook not only locked me out of the ability to ever change my name again, they misspelled my name. Wow. And I don't know if it was intentional or accident because, like, now not as much traffic does come to my page because yeah. people can't find me. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's to my benefit. But then, like, when I meet people who only know me from my social media, Chinti, I'll be like, you don't know me. <laughs> like, Chinti, you don't know me. So social media is Chinti Carpenter, T R I N T I Y. <laughs> And then Carpenter, and then my Instagram is Trendsetter54, and I'm pretty sure my Snapchat is Trendsetter54, too. That is a street hood name. Hey. That definitely has followed Trendsetter. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's about, oh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well as Trendsetter54. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. No church. No church. That's no fine. Church. We, we don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> no church. <laughs> And y'all know me, uh, follow me at dr underscore c-o-s-e-i-13, Twitter, IG, Facebook, Cassandra AOSA. Um, check out Therapy for Black Girls podcast with Dr. Joy Harden. It is a very good podcast. It is all black woman centered, headlined by a black psychologist, I believe. So let me snap my fingers yes. for that. Therapy for Black Girls. It's a wonderful podcast. And of course, check out Black Panther. It's the weekend. Let's celebrate. Go and even forth. I will promote bootlegging for anyone that can't afford. I'm not yes. here. Yes. <laughs> man, man from the barbershop, get your bootlegs in. Listen, Come through. Not shaming or hating in the box office will be fine. Yes. You know they love our culture. Amen. <laughs> they hate us and they want to be us. Hate us.
with one of the yes. same sentence. Yes. Oh, and I'm going to end with a shout out to uh, Kiki. Love you, bae. And with that, <laughs> thank you for listening to The Table Podcast. Thank you.